Good morning. This morning's scripture reading will be from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 through 23. Matthew 25, 14 through 23. And it reads, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, and each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded them traded with them, and made in another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But the one who received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. I invite you to take your copy of the scriptures and to turn with me uh, back to Matthew 25, Matthew chapter 25, and we want to look at this particular parable, uh, the parable of the talents, as it's called. I didn't have Brother Albert read all the way down through verse 30, uh, but uh, we will be going down through that entire section. Matthew 25, and let me just um, let me just read uh, verses 20 through 23 again. He who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, "Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them." His Lord said to him, "Well." Great, sweet, cool, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents, look. I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, almost as good. No, he didn't say. He said, well, good, sweet, cool, 
good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I want to talk to you this morning about stewardship. And I want to talk to you. Last week we talked about the heart of a steward. Uh, This week I want to talk to you about the hands of a steward. Father, thank you so much again for this day. As always, uh, we always give you thanks for allowing us to be together. We, We don't want to ever take it for granted, Father, because it's not a given. There may come a day, and it may be sooner than either of us expect, when gatherings such as this will be deemed inappropriate and illegal and perhaps even dangerous. But this day is not that day. And so as we have these opportunities, uh, let us take advantage of them and redeem the time. Uh, Let us build ourselves up on our most holy faith and let us give rapt attention to you as you speak to us from your word. We'll thank you for the privilege. We ask that Satan might not be allowed to bother anything that we do. That, Father, we'll only hear from heaven. And that, Father, uh, we'll receive and use the grace that you provide so abundantly uh, to listen to you attentively, that we might know your will so that we can do your will. And, of course, uh, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I thought a lot about stewardship this week. I was reading about an old story. It says this, Charlotte, North Carolina man, having purchased a case of rare, very expensive cigars, insured them against fire. Within a month, having smoked his entire stockpile of fabulous cigars and having yet to make a single premium payment on the policy, the man filed a claim with the insurance company. In his claim, the man stated that he had lost the cigars in a series of small fires, all 24 of them. Of course, the insurance company refused to pay, citing the very obvious reason that the man had consumed the cigars in a normal fashion. Well, in this day and age, you know what happened. The man sued and won. In delivering his ruling, the judge stated that since the man held the policy from the company in which it had warranted that the cigars were insurable and also guaranteed that it would insure the cigars against fire without defining what it considered to be unacceptable fire, it was obligated to compensate the insured for his loss. So rather than endure a lengthy and costly appeals process, The insurance company accepted the judge's ruling and paid the man $15,000 for the rare cigars he lost in the fire. Some people just know how to get over it. After the man cast his check, however, the insurance company had him arrested on 24 counts of arson with his own insurance claim and testimony from the previous case being used as evidence against him, 
the man was convicted of intentionally burning the red cigars and was sentenced by the judge to 24 consecutive one-year terms. Some people just think that they know how to get over it. See, when you, when you take what's in your possession and you abuse the privilege of having it, when you try to get over, instead of doing that which is right, you leave yourself in a position where damage can be done to you. And it's like that when it comes to the matter of stewardship. And I want us to, to think carefully about it today. So we talk about what it is that a steward does. I didn't give you a definition last week, so I'm giving you one today. It's an old one. I think I gave you the very same one last year. Stewardship is recognizing that God is the owner. He is the owner of everything. He owns all the purposes assigned to my life. He owns all the people who come into my life. He owns all the possessions that I have in my life. For the person who has committed their life to Jesus Christ, God owns it all, lock, stock, and barrel. And because of that fact, then the steward who understands that it's all God's stuff, is responsible to manage God's stuff in a way that brings glory and honor to God. And that's what this particular um, parable deals with. Just to give a little bit of background on it, if you'll take your Bibles and flip back uh, to chapter 23. In chapter 23, you see where Christ, he lays into the Pharisees, the religious leaders, for their hypocrisy. And throughout all of chapter 23, those of you that don't think of Jesus Christ as being uh, a bit angry at times, who think of him only as meek, mild-mannered, and quiet, when you read chapter 23, you get a whole different picture of Jesus. There are some things that just seem to make his blood boil, and hypocrisy was one of them. And as he comes into the city of Jerusalem, and he's are brown the religious leaders and they are confronting him and opposing him at every hand, uh, then at the end of this stretch, he lays into them and because the people are following them, when you look at what he says in, in verse 37 of 23, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one that is the city who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more. Till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now when Jesus says this, listening to him are his disciples. You know, the ones that have been following him for a year and a half and who are convinced that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, that he's the one that's going to come and set up that kingdom that was prophesied in the Old Testament, that he's the one that Zechariah said was going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey and indeed he did. In fact, they laid their coats down and people put down palm branches and they were expecting for Jesus to grow in Jesus to set up his kingdom. It appears that Jesus wasn't going to set up his kingdom right now. And so 
as they go on into the city, it says, and you go into chapter 24, he went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came uh, to, up to show him the buildings of the temple. And, you know, the, the temple in Jerusalem, uh, Herod had embellished it. They were showing him the, the buildings of the temple and all of the sections that, that Herod had. You know, they, they had built that second temple when they returned from captivity. Herod had taken that place and he remodeled it and he embellished it. And, and it was such an elaborate place, one of the wonders of the world. In fact, they had stones that were 60 feet long. They had columns pillars that were 37 feet high and all of it pristine white so that it gleamed and glistened. You could have missed it. It was the most impressive building in existence to them. And as they were just going on because you know he's the Messiah and he's come to the temple and this is his place, right? And he says to them, in time there's not going to be one stone left on top of another. Devastating to them. You see, their idea of what was going to happen next was very different from what Jesus was portraying to them. So, of course, they come to him as he's sitting on the Mount of Olives, and, and they, sell a, they say to him in verse 3, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? And at the end of the age, when is this stuff going to pass so we can, we can get to the kingdom? And he goes on and he describes the, the latter days to them in the rest of chapter 24. And then as you get into 25, he begins to give them parables. And he talks about what at the end of 24, verses 45 to 51, he talks about, a, he gives a parable of a faithful servant and an unfaithful servant. And the, the master has entrusted goods to them, and they were to manage things for him while he was gone. And you got this very faithful servant, and you got this rather unfaithful servant. And then when you get into the next chapter, 25, he gives another parable about these ten virgins. And, and five of them were wise and five were foolish. They're waiting for the bridegroom to come to take them to the, the wedding feast. But, but the five had prepared and now they were watching and waiting anxiously for the arrival of the bridegroom. But the foolish ones, they didn't make adequate preparation. So they had to abandon their post, and as a result, they missed the entire thing. And he's telling them, you know, this is coming to time. You got to be watching and waiting. You got to be a faithful servant until I come back. And then he gets to this particular parable of the talents. He says, For like a man traveling to a far country, uh, you see in your Bible the words, the kingdom of heaven is, are in italics because that's not in the original. He's continuing just to give story after story to illustrate the fact to them that, listen, I'm going away and then I'm going to return. Well, just as, as you ought to be a faithful servant who takes care of the people under you and around you while I'm gone, <clears throat> just like you need to be like the virgins who are looking for my arrival with anticipation. Now he's teaching them that you ought to be doing something significant and specific while I'm gone. And that's what this parable deals with. 
We learn a lot from this parable. In fact, there are four things that we learn from this parable about the hands of a steward, one who is a real steward. Notice, first of all, in verse 14, the hands of a steward receive an endowment from the Lord. They receive an endowment from the Lord. He says the kingdom is like a a, a man traveling to a far country who called his own service and delivered his goods to them. Well, you see those three things there. Uh, Number one, that endowment is financial. It's money, okay? Uh, We know that he's not talking about just clothes and buildings, etc. He's talking about money because in the story, he gives them talents. And talents, the word literally refers to silver money. So what he's given them is financial and it is to be used he, he delivered them the goods, and, and he gave them different amounts, but he says to them that they were to occupy, they were to make use of it, and he says to them, when I come back, there's going to be a logos, there's going to be a reckoning and accounting of what happened to the money. But notice, though, it says he delivered his goods to them. You see, even though it's in their possession, it's still his stuff. And that's, that's, a, that's a key thing for me when I understand that as a steward, even though I have all these things in my possession, guess whose stuff it is? It's his stuff. And, and see, that, that's, that's a very different thing. Now, you know yourself, when, when you have something that's yours, you know, sometimes it gets broken, uh, messed over, defaced, etc. But if somebody gives you something of theirs, you know, you watch over that thing. You tell the kids, don't you touch that, right? Because you don't want them doing anything to it. If it belongs to somebody else, even though it's in your possession, you take special care of it because it's not yours. You see, when I understand that I'm a steward, I can't just treat the stuff in my possession any old kind of way. Because you know what? I, I can't file a claim on that stuff. They received an endowment. Notice, secondly, that the endowment, verse 15, it's an appropriate amount for them. Notice it says to one, he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, to each according to his own Ability. Now, God doesn't give everybody the same stuff. And, and see, that, that's to say a lot to us as a nation in our quest to take from those who have a lot to give to those who don't have as much because we want equality. So we say, you know, equality of outcome, even though life is not equal in any respects. There's a difference between firstborn and secondborn and thirdborn, even in terms of ability and their uh, uh, way that they think and manage. There are lots of inequalities in life. Nothing in life is equal. And why we want to try to make money equal is beyond me. But notice that he gives them differing amounts, each according to their own ability to manage it. Now, see, what that tells me is that God knows that you and I are not alike. God knows that in some areas you're way better than me. And he's not about to entrust me with some stuff. 
because I will not do as good a job with it as you would. And on the, on the other hand, there are some things he's entrusted to me that he hasn't entrusted to you. Because there are some things that I'm going to manage well that you would not manage as well. He gives me what, I, what he wants me to have, and he doesn't expect me to do like you. He expects me to do what he's allowed me to do. And I, need to, I need to be content with that. I don't need to compare myself with Albert. All right, I'm sorry. See, I did it again, Albert. I'm sorry. I don't need to compare myself with some unnamed person. Right? <clears throat> As if we should all be treated the same. Listen, God loves us all equally, but he has given me and he's given you that which is appropriate for us. And you and I just have to be good with what he's given us and not compare. Don't be like Peter. The Lord says, Peter, follow me. And he looked up and he saw John come and say, well, what about him? What's he going to do? And Jesus said, that ain't your business. You follow me. And we need to keep our eyes on on that in the way of gifts and in the way of the grace that goes along with the gifts. He gives me what I need. And and, and that that's a significant thing because whatever it is that God wants me to do, I don't care what it is. If God wants me to do it, I can never say I can't do that. Because whatever he calls me to do, he automatically gives me all the grace I need to get it done. So it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how easy or how extraordinarily difficult it may be. It is never going to be beyond my ability to do it because he's always the one who's going to get it done through me. So I, I, just have to, I just have to let him do the work. You know, 1 Corinthians, we've got this really wonderful, 1 Corinthians 12, um, just a snippet there. There are different ways that God works in our lives. But it's the same God who does the work through all of us. All of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us as a, mem- as a means of, of helping the entire church. Everyone in here, if you know Christ as Savior and Lord, God has gifted you with an ability that we need. And we're not the same without you functioning as God has wired you. We need you and you need us. God has made it so that we're all very valuable and needed and necessary, and we belong together. And he gives a couple of examples. I just put uh, verse 8 to one person. The Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, he gives the gift of special knowledge. The, the gifts differ. Then in verse 11, it is the one and only Holy Spirit who distribute these gifts. They all come from him. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So you don't hate on a brother or a sister because you're jealous of what they have. No, they have what God gave them. And you have what God gave you. And you ought to be content with what God gave you. And quit comparing what you have with what I have or what they have. Because you have, you know, I remember, uh, I think it's Judges 11, <laughs> Jephthah, uh, <laughs> the, the, um, the Amorites are, uh, are come, uh, Ammonites are coming against them and they're arguing with them about some land and, and he says he says well listen you know y'all got what your God Chemosh gave y'all God gave us this land don't, don't be mad at us our God gave us this you just keep what your God gave you it's not our fault you got a little puny God 
I mean, he didn't say all of that. But you know, it's kind of the point. You know, I have what God gave me. And so do you. So we, we let God be God. And we don't try to be God Jr. Uh, who polices what everybody has. And sometimes, you know, you could have more. But you don't. Why? Well, let me, let me give you three suggestions <laughs> as to why that might be. A smaller stewardship may come from not asking God for what he wants to give us. What James says, you have not. Why? Because you ask not. Some of us, we ask. We ask for a lot. And then God gives us more than we ask for. And then you don't ask for nothing, and you get exactly what you ask for. I mean, don't hate, right? Um, I mean, if you serve the king of the universe, and he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you're able to ask or think, then what are you asking for? If you're asking for something down here, okay, then you get something down there. But if I ask for something up here and he gives me this much, I mean, he may not give me this, but he's giving me this much. And then you down here saying, well, how come he gets all of that? Listen, ask. And what did you say in Matthew 7? Ask and you'll receive. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Everyone who asks receives. Secondly, it may be because we're not asking in faith. There's that fear factor, right? Remember, maybe you're, you're doing a Gideon, and Gideon was, you know, God called him and said, I'm going to use you to deliver your people. And, and he's like, what? Yeah, uh, if, it's, if it's really you, I mean, seriously, I, I mean, I, I need to know for sure. So I tell you what, um, I'm going to put this little fleece down here. And if you would be so kind as when I wake up in the morning, you know, when the dew comes in, um, don't let the ground have any dew on it. The whole ground dry. But, but then you have, you have water in the fleece. And next day he came, dry ground, he lifted up that fleece and he wrung out all that water. He says, okay. I, yeah, I, well, you know, now that I think about it, I mean, that's the easy one, right? He said, well, on the second hand, let, let the fleece be dry and everything around it wet. Next day, the fleece was bone dry. Everything around, around it wet. He says, okay, I'll do it. He goes, he recruits all the thousands of men, 30,000, I believe it was. God says, too many, too many folks. I don't need all them folks. They tell whoever scared to go home. 22,000 went home. <laughs> and God says, still too many. I don't need all of that. Take them down to the river. I'll separate them. And you know the story. You go down to the river, and you know, whoever sticks his head in versus somebody that lifts up his hands and drinks, you know. And, and only, only 300 people did that. Everybody else just wow. <laughs> Right? So, okay, we got, so we eliminated 300. God says, I'll take the 300. Now, wait a minute now. The Midianites and all of their entourage, the, the scripture says that, that they were like sand on the seashore. It was so many of them. You couldn't even count them. 
And, and God said, I'm going to deliver you with 300 folk. And I, I, I know some of you would say, okay, let's go. I mean, you're at Caleb. But for the other 99% of us, like, I got a problem. But God said, listen, I can do it. But even if, if you're not convinced, just, just go down to the enemy camp. Just to take your servant pool and just go down there. And he sneaks down there. He snuck, and just the first tent, he snuck up on these guys are having a conversation. And the one guy says, man, you're not going to believe it. That's a weird dream. Really? You know, I dreamed it. That, you know, we were sitting in, in the camp and a, a barley loaf just came tumbling in and it hit the camp of the midnight and flattened that thing. It's just so weird. And his companion says, I know what that means. That barley loaf, that's, that's Gideon, the son of Joash. God, God has delivered all of us into his, his hands. What that mean? Now imagine that. You got all those people <clears throat> all over that valley and they're scared spitless of what God might do through one man. And so when Gideon heard that, he worshiped. And then he went back and says, guys, we got this. Or excuse me, God's got this. And then they were able to see God deliver them and they still didn't have to fight anybody. God says, listen, I don't need you to be clever. I don't need you to be smart. I don't need you to be rich. I don't need you to be nothing. I just need you to trust me. Can you do that? If you can say, yes, Lord, I trust you, I can do all things through the Lord who strengthens me. And sometimes, you know, we ask for things we don't get because we consume them on our lust. You know. Now, you know, Lustful things are things that you don't even pray about, right? Because you know better. You know, I was talking to my kids again at Christmas time, and I don't know, this conversation always comes up. I always mess with them. I say, well, guys, you know, I think I really should get, I saw this Samsung projector TV, right? 100 inches. And, um, yeah, in fact, they had it on sale at Best Buy. Oh, that's neither here nor there. But, um, but of course, uh, they were vehement. And their opposition is saying, it is not the will of God that I get that, okay? I mean, I don't know the, how they, when they prayed about that or nothing, but they said, that's not the will of God. Everyone except my son-in-law. And he's like, Dad, I think you should get that. I'm like, really? He said, yeah, I mean, at your age, you're going to be dead a little bit anyway. I mean, just, you know, thanks, Jimmy. I feel so much better now, you know? <laughs> I mean, you're going out. Get what you want because, you know, you ain't going to be here that long. And he's probably thinking, I'll get it when you're gone. But, <laughs> but anyway, I, I mean, I, I'm going to tell you now, that's never going to be something that I pray about. I don't have to pray about that. <laughs> because I already know what the answer will be. And if you came to my house and you saw it in my house, you said, Pastor Ray, did you pray about that? You know the answer. No, right? No, so, I mean, sometimes we don't ask because we know God's going to say no because the thing that you want is not in keeping with what he wants you to have. You already know that. So just don't. And, of course, because you get used to asking for things that you don't need, 
and that don't bring glory and honor to him, then you wind up not having much. Just a thing. Anyway, smaller stewardships happen. God gives me what he can safely entrust to me is kind of the point, right? Ouch. The third thing I want you to notice is that the hands of a faithful steward, of a steward, they they take risks for the master. I really like that. It says, after 15, he immediately went on a journey. Verse 16 says, he who had received the five went and traded them and made five another five talents. Now, a talent is 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 um, um, about 60 to 80 pounds, right? And, um, you know, this silver. Silver is about what? Just under 25 bucks an ounce, 16 ounces in a pound. So it was about 400 bucks. So let's say the first guy got maybe $150,000 you know, in silver. And the second guy maybe got fifty dollars to $75,000 worth of silver. The other guy got maybe twenty-five, dollars $30,000 worth of silver. Yeah, different. But the guy that, that got the $150,000, he come back with $300,000. He said, Lord, you gave me $150,000. I doubled it. And he says, well, see, I, the reason I said cool, sweet, and all those, because in the Greek, it's just one word. It's not well done. It's just one word, well, right? And that's like saying, great or cool, you know. He calls him a good and a faithful servant. And I like that, the, the word uh, good there. There are two different words for, for good. There's kalos, which speaks of something that uh, um, is an external benefit, versus agathos, which is something that has inherent, internal goodness. And that's the word he uses you know, because it, it, it points out the fact that what's on the inside determines what comes out. See, if, if, if faithfulness, if goodness comes out, it's because there's goodness inside. Now, if decrepitness comes out, you can't say, well, well he made me do that. No, <laughs> decrepitness is in there, and he just afforded you an opportunity for it to come out. What's in the heart comes out. But he says, you're, you're good and you're faithful servant. He says the same thing to the guy with the two talents. It, it doesn't matter how much. What matters is the degree of faithfulness with what you have received. That's another reason why I don't need to be jealous of you and you don't need to be jealous of the next person. Because, listen, God is not calling me to to do like them. He's calling me to be faithful with what he's given me. And faithfulness has its own reward. And it's a full reward. See, when you're faithful, you're not ashamed. First John 2, I like that John says, he says, Dear children, continue to live in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you'll be full of courage and, and not shrink back from him in shame. Then when Christ comes back, you won't have to say, Oh, I didn't know you were coming today. Um, yeah, let me put this away. No. You want to occupy until he comes looking for his return. 
he says in chapter 4 is we live in God. Our love grows more perfect. And so we'll, we won't be afraid on the day of judgment. We can face him with confidence. Why? Because we've been faithful. We've been doing the thing that he called us to do. We've been loving him as we ought to love. And so we, we go after it. We take risks. We're not afraid. We're not ashamed. We're not scared. Right? I told you my little, um, my youngest daughter, she's not little anymore, uh, but she, when she was a little kid sitting there at the dinner table, they were working on a house across the street from us, and they had the skill saw going, and you know, that shrill sound, scream, she's covering her ears, and she looked up, and she saw me standing there looking at her, and she had to explain. She said, Daddy, my ears are scared, right? And so sometimes, we you know, our ears get scared, our hearts get scared, our minds get scared. We just don't want to do, we don't think we can do anything for God. So what? We don't try. And we don't find success. God has a plan for success. A couple of quotes I put down. Success always follows an honest effort. Keep trying. Like Ring Lauder, he says, I believe in luck. The harder I work, the more of it I tend to have, right? Hard work brings success. Many do not recognize success because it comes to them disguised as hard work. Someone says success doesn't come in cans. Well, yes, it does. Success comes in cans, failures in cans. I can't, I can't, I can't. How do you know that you can't? Have you ever tried? Well, no, there's a lion in the street. I might get killed, right? So I excused my misbehavior. I checked the book out from the library. Um, Teddy and, um, look at that, and Booker T. And the, the book, um, Brian Kilmey, he, he, talks, he talks about how uh, Teddy Roosevelt and Booker T. Washington, as they came along, the two of them overcoming tremendous odds at a time of, of uh, overt racism and how they worked together, they collaborated together to push forward an agenda to overcome that. And, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, when he was born, he was, he was so weak and frail, they didn't think he would live, much less grow up to become the president of the United States. Uh, but as he overcame all these obstacles and Booker T, his mom, uh, a slave, and he came up out of slavery and taught himself to read and all of these things and, and these two great men. But in a, reading the book, uh, Teddy Roosevelt says this. I put this quote up here, and forgive me, but I just, I just love this, and I keep it in my office. It is not the critic who counts. There are always people that tell you what you can't do. There are always people that point out why it's not going to succeed. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, but who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. If you've never failed at anything, it's because you haven't tried anything. 
But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Wayne Gretzky said it best. You miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. God wants to use us to show his greatness. And all he, he's just looking for someone with the mind of a steward and willing to pick up, put their hands to the plow and say, Lord, by your glory and in your strength, we'll move forward and do this. That's all he's looking for. That's all he needs. You notice the hands of a steward are rewarded by the master. They're rewarded by the master in verses 19 to 23. It says here, excuse me, um, let me go to the right spot here. Notice in 19, after the master came and settled the counts, well, excuse me, it's 21 and 23, and it says, um, well done, good and faithful servant. Notice that it says, you were faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. The reward for trusting God in the little things in life is God begins to do great things through your life. You don't start off with great things. You start off following him in the little things, in the routine things, in the everyday things. If you are faithful in the little stuff, you'll be faithful in the great stuff. And he says to them both, they get the same credit, the same applause, the same reward. You've been faithful with a little. I'm going to put you over many, over much. The reward is greater responsibility. But what about the servant that we didn't read about? What happens when you don't have the hands of a steward? Well, verses 24 to 29 tell us about that. The four things we can see there. It says, he who received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. See, I, I, I knew that you, that's what you were like, right? So I, I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground, and look, here it is. I didn't lose any of it. It's right here. You see, the person who doesn't see themselves as a steward, they, they receive things from the Lord, but they don't use it for God's glory. They, they don't use it. You are content with holding on instead of handling wisely. He hid the stuff in the ground to keep it safe so that he wouldn't mess up with it. But his master put his finger on the real problem. He says to him, verse 26, you wicked and lazy servant. That's the real issue. 
You see, it, it, it exposed his heart, didn't it? He didn't have a heart to do anything for God, so, so he excused it. And he's saying, well, God, uh, he's saying, it's, it's your fault, Master. I mean, you, you have this high standard, and I didn't think I could measure up, and, and I didn't want to mess up, and, and so I, I just thought I'd play it safe. And he says, you knew I was that way. You, out of your own mouth, you knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money in the bank. At least I would have got some interest. And at my com- coming, I would receive back my own with, with some interest. I would have got something back instead of nothing. But then look what he says in verse 28. Take the talent from him. And give it to the one who has ten talents. And the other parallel passages, they say, you give it to the guy that's got the most. Well, yes. He who is faithful in much shall receive an abundance. You lose what you don't use for God. You lose what you don't use for God. You say, well, I'm going to keep it for myself. No, you're not. You're going to lose it. You know, I, I said last week, you know, people say, well, I can't afford the tithe. And I said, well, you know, you ain't going to keep God's money. Somebody's going to get it. Doctor going to get it. Right? The, the mechanic going to get it. Uh, somebody, the, how, how, uh, the plumber going to get it. Somebody's going to get the money. You are not going to keep God's money. You can try, but in the end, you won't be able to. You will lose what you don't use for God's glory. I like Proverbs 24, and we'll wrap this up. A house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. I highlighted that because it says later that the lazy person is lacking sense. See, the person who has good sense, they're going to get after it. The lazy person, they're not going to get after anything because they don't have good sense. It becomes strong through good sense. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. And then he says, I walk by the field of a lazy person. The vineyard of one lacking sense, I saw it was overgrown with thorns. It was covered with weeds. Its walls were broken down. Then as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep. He doesn't say sleep is bad. It's just that little extra sleep. A little slumber. He didn't say slumber is bad. When you're tired, you may need a power nap. But it's it's that, that little extra slumber that you don't need. You just don't feel like getting up. You say it's so cozy here by the fire. I'm just going to turn over on the other side, right? Warm this side a little bit. You know, and you just, you tossing and you turning, but you won't get up. You say, I don't have a reason to get up. Well, that's its own problem. That shows a lack of understanding about stewardship. But he says, a little sleep, a little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. And the thing about that is that it doesn't happen suddenly. It happened as a result of your decision 
to mismanage what God has given you. What God has entrusted to you, that he, he's given you the wisdom and the opportunities and the wherewithal to make a difference for him. And you refuse to do that. And as a result, the work goes lacking. Your testimony goes lacking. You go lacking. And the abundance that God could have built up in, through, for, to you goes lacking. So then, decisions to make this year. Look at the, those three parables and thinking about them. Let me encourage you. Number one, to love Christ's appearing. Christ is, he's coming back, right? We don't know when. Maybe today. Maybe 10 years from now. Maybe 100 years from now. Maybe 1,000. We don't know when he's coming back. Every believer ought to consider that Christ is returning in my lifetime. And because of that, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to, to look for him, and I'm going to work for him until he comes. And that's the mindset. I need to, to look for his appearing. And I, I think I put witnessing there uh, because I believe that if I believe that Christ is returning, Christ is coming back, and it could be today. I don't have that many opportunities. I, I, I don't know how many opportunities I have to, to display Christ, to share Christ, to talk about Christ, to make Christ known. I, I don't know. And because I don't know, then I, I want to make the most of every opportunity to share Christ with those around me. And then this parable tells me I need to labor faithfully. Faithfully un, un, until he comes. I don't want to be sleeping. I want to be working. You know, the person who is right with the Lord, that's not a fair way to say that. <laughs> the person that I think is right with the Lord, it, it, there's so much to do. It's like, wow. I mean, it, 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 there's an overwhelming amount of do, to do, and there's not enough time. And the person who's out of step with the Lord, they don't see it as very much to do at all. And there is that, that difference. You. I, I want to labor faithfully until the Lord returns. When I was working, I was a single man working my way through pharmacy school. I worked at Rich's department store downtown in the book department. And my job was just to take the books out of the boxes, stack them on shelves, separate them, and then take them up to the floor to be displayed uh, to sell. And that was it. But because I was in school, then when school came, um, I needed to work part-time. And because the department closed at 5 o'clock, um, then I came at 3, and my boss let me stay until 7, 7.30. And everybody else left at 5, and it was just me. And... You know, I mean, what do you do? You, you're getting paid. There ain't nobody to see what you're doing, right? But 
when I was there, the manager who um, was across the hall said to my boss, that guy works his entire shift. Even though there's nobody there to watch him, he's, he's doing his job constantly, and I did. I, I was constantly doing, in fact, I, I probably worked harder by myself than I did when there were other people there because there were no distractions. But the reason I did that is because Victor Foxworth, who was my supervisor, he wasn't my real boss. My real boss sits next to the Father in heaven. And he watched everything that I do. And because he watched everything that I did, I wanted to always make sure that what I did was pleasing to him. So, so I worked. I worked hard. I didn't need somebody to stand over me, to watch me, to, to point out what needed to be done. I knew my job, and I did my job, and I worked hard at my job because I was trying to please my boss in heaven. That's stewardship. Stewardship is recognizing that the one who sits high looks low, and he's watching, and he's weighing, and he's recording every word, every thought, every attitude, every action. And because of that, I wanted, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, my ambition is to be pleasing to him. Let me challenge you. Let me challenge you to think like a steward, to determine that Christ is the boss, he's the owner, he calls the shots, and everything is to be done for his honor and for his glory. Father, thank you so much again. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Father, stewardship is, is, is easy in a sense because uh, it, uh, if you don't own it and you just have to manage it, then, of course, uh, you're responsible for the outcomes. But because you've been provided everything you need to be successful, then you're pretty much guaranteed success. And for that reason, then stewardship is, is really peaceful. There's a joy in knowing that I can do all things through Christ and that you have promised, like you said to Joshua, I won't fail you. You take it, the initiative to ensure that I succeed at doing the things that you call me to do. I just, I just have to trust you. And I want to trust you. And Lord, I, I pray uh, that even as I think about the individuals around me, and as you look into each heart, uh, there may be hearts here today that are still struggling with that matter of stewardship. Still trying to decide if, if they want to give up the right to run the show. They feel that life should be lived on their own terms because there may be things in their life that they don't want to give up. 
And for the sake of holding on to those things that they won't be able to hold on to anyway, uh, they'll lose out on all that you have for them. And I pray for them, Father. I pray for our young people. They make critical decisions every day, and they think that they have a lot of time. And they think that the time to get serious about serving you is some time in the future. And not realizing that the critical decision is to commit their life to you right now and allow you to lead them in a path that results in success and production and fulfillment. It is a lie of the wicked one that they can put off, they can postpone that decision until later and think that they're ahead. Open their eyes, Father, and help them to see. Help those of us who've walked with you a while and who honestly haven't been nearly as serious about surrendering every area to you as we know we should. Strengthen us to respond to your spirit and say yes to you. And I pray that as we stand shoulder to shoulder with each other, it will encourage each other to build ourselves up on our most holy faith, to walk with you and to live for you and to work for you. So much to be done. So many people needing to see Christ and hear about him. Help us to grow in him that we might show him. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.